Thank you, praise team, just for that awesome songs this morning, the words. Good morning, Berean. Are you awake this morning? My strategy worked this week. I got up eight minutes earlier every day this week. So today was only eight minutes earlier. I feel good. I've had my coffee. I feel good. We're continuing our series in the book of Psalms. Today it's Psalm 8. Let me start off by saying all of us need to be needed. Am I correct? All of us need to be needed. It's very satisfying to know that we're making a contribution and that other people need us and that we can go out every day and assist others. Sometimes you go through stages in your life, and it could be for various reasons, where we sometimes we feel like we're we're sidelined. We're on the bench in the game of life. And that we're not really needed. We're not in demand. We feel very insignificant. It could be because maybe we're going through some health issues. It might be because of age. It could be for various reasons. But we seem very small and insignificant. Well, does God have a psalm for you? (laughs) Psalm chapter 8 is a great message from God. When When you go through those times and those days where you feel small and you feel like you're put aside, you feel like you're you're overlooked and that you're not needed. Just a little background, the author of Psalm 8 is David, and this is meant to be played on a giddeth. I'm sure you all know about the giddeth. Actually, <laughs> it's an it's a old Hebrew ancient instrument. Uh, I shouldn't say Hebrew. There's, the best guess that people have of it is like a liar. If you don't think I'm telling the truth, I might be a liar. Stop. But it's a liar. And... It's from the city of Gath. Now, when David was running away from King Saul, he spent time in the city of Gath. And there are some Bible scholars that feel that possibly David learned how to play this Giddeth instrument when he was hiding out in Gath and brought it back to Israel at a later date. Of course, one of the greatest victories David ever had in his life was over the giant Goliath, and Goliath was from the city of Gath. And if you remember in 1 Samuel, after this great victory, the people danced and they sang. And there's some commentators, people like Chuck Swindoll, that feels that possibly David composed the words of this song after the great victory over Goliath. But Psalm 8 is a hymn of praise. Just as our music this morning, I appreciate our worship team and and Dave and just their selection of their music. It's a praise to God for his greatness and for his victories in life. 
And that is the backdrop. So let's take a look at chapter 8, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. You might have creation in, in your Bibles, depending on your translation. God is majestic. It, it, it suggests splendor and magnificence. It's, it's a fitting note of praise to the Lord of creation. Now, you notice it says, Lord, our Lord. The, the psalm here, the psalmist David, is representing us. It's not my Lord, it's our Lord. So he's representing God's people. Now, sometimes we quickly go through the Bible and we miss little things. In fact, can we go back to that previous slide? You notice how Lord is all capital, the first one, and, but not the second one? Now we can go to the next slide. Is the first Lord is the personal name, Yahweh. And then the, the second one, our Lord, Adonai, the sovereign or the master, the God over all creation. And your glory is set high above the heavens or creation. God's glory is not meant just for the people of Israel. It's universal. It's high above the heavens. But here the psalmist speaks on our behalf. He, re he represents the people of God as we give honor and praise to God. And just to declare his majesty as we consider his creation. We're here, how majestic is your name? Do people misuse God's name today? But God's name here is to be respected. It's high and lifted up. As we sang this morning, the name above all names. How great is our God. So it opens up with this doxology here, Psalm 8, just showing the transcendent majesty and glory of God. And it sets the tone for the whole Psalms. Let's take a look at verse 2. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. A couple things come to my mind as I think about praise coming from children and infants. First of all, sometimes little children and infants, we might consider them insignificant. They're small. But 1 Corinthians 1.27 says this. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. You know, children, they're able to trust God in a childlike faith. And they don't have all the doubts and reservations. Sometimes as adults, we put up these barriers between us and God. But children had that childlike faith where they put their trust fully in God. In Matthew 18.3, the Lord said this, and he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom 
of heaven. I also think that in a couple weeks, believe it or not, I believe two weeks from, from today, we have Palm Sunday. And you remember when Jesus came into the town of Jerusalem and they were waving the palms and Jesus was riding on a donkey and then he went and he cleared the temple. But then he said this in Matthew 21, 14. He says, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him? Yes, Jesus, replied Jesus. Have you never read... From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth their praise. Where did, where did Jesus get that from? Psalm 8. He's just quoting Psalm 8 right here. So Jesus quoted from the very psalm that we're reading from this morning. But I also think of infants, and I, I think of newborns. Uh, Matt and Sarah with your little Luke um, I think one of the greatest things is holding a newborn. For the most part, they smell pretty good most of the time. Okay. But, you know, they're, they're so small. And when you look down at the newborn, you see their little features. And it's amazing that God is a God of detail. And you can see little, like with the DNA and the genetics, you can see some similarities of different... But even in that smallness, you see the greatness of God. Even in that, that little, little baby. So out of the, God receives praise even from infant, infants and, and children. And we read that in this psalm. It's, it's a comfort to us that God is a big God, but yet he cares about little details in our life. Let's take a look at verse 3 and 4 of Psalm 8. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. To consider here is the verb meaning to see, behold, Take a look. Now, David was a shepherd, right, before he became king. So I'm sure that there was many nights that he was out with the sheep and he was able to look up to the heavens and, and see the stars. And he was just awestruck with how big and how great God is. He was overwhelmed. One of my favorite speakers I like listening to from time to time is Louis Giglio. I'm not sure if you've ever, he's got a lot of videos about the creation of God. And he brings this out in an article I read this, this week that David, and if you wanted to go out at night and look up, you can count about a thousand stars on a normal night, on a clear night, a thousand. Now, when Galileo came on the scene in the late 1500s and 1600s with the telescope, Galileo could count 3,000 stars with the telescope. Today, <laughs> today, there is an estimated, with the telescopes, 100 
billion stars in our Milky Way, just in our Milky Way. And our, the Milky Way is just a small galaxy among other galaxies in the whole universe. A hundred billion. Do you know what that means? That means there's more stars in the heaven than there are grains of sand on our earth. You take all the beaches and the deserts, there's more stars than grains of sand. How great is our God? Now, don't try counting them. If you were to go outside in the backyard tonight and look up and start counting one star a second, one star a second, it would take you 2,500 years to count the stars in our Milky Way. Good luck on that one. Good luck on that one. Now, here's the amazing thing. Psalm 147.4 says this. He determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. I get my grandkids together. I can't keep track of their names. He knows every star by name. Isaiah 40, 26 says, says this. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. He knows exactly where they are. He put them all in place. He has a name for them. We serve a, a big God, a great God. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Now, our solar system is just is small. Our solar system is small. It's, it's a tiny part of the Milky Way galaxy. You know, our solar system, I, I think recently we lost a planet. I think we said uh, Pluto is no longer a planet. Yeah, it's, it's considered a moon or something. I know that sounds goofy to me. Okay. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Jim. A little delayed, but it's there. But bringing it down to a smaller scale, bringing it down to a smaller scale, if, if the Milky Way was brought down to scale, let's say the Milky Way is like North America, our solar system would be a quarter, placing a quarter in North America. That's the size of our solar system as compared to the whole Milky Way. And our whole Milky Way is just a small galaxy among many. It tells us that our creator is far mightier and greater than we can ever imagine. He's, as the song says, he's indescribable, uncontainable, God is. And as we consider, as we consider how great our God is, what's our response? Our response is, Lord, our Lord, <laughs> how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Take a look at verse 3, where it says, the work of your fingers. 
The work of your fingers is God's creation. John Wesley, my next haircut's going to be like that. Okay, John Wesley said that God created the heavens and the earth and didn't half try. It was just his finger work. He, he, spoke, he spoke creation into existence. It was nothing to him. That's how big God is. It's very interesting, too, when you consider that if creation is his finger work, salvation in the Bible is often talked, refers to the arm, the arm of the Lord. And, of course, arms are stronger than fingers. Am I correct? So it says, if we could have, there we go right there. We got the fingers. Psalm 77, 15. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. So with his fingers, he created the universe. With his arms, the arm of salvation. It said that it was easy for God to create the universe, but salvation cost him something, right? It cost him the bloodshed of his son when he sent his son to die on the cross for us. Amen. Sometimes when we compare ourselves to God, we do feel small. Uh, we, we, we do feel insignificant. But God doesn't want us to dwell constantly on our, on our smallest. Humility involves having the proper respect for God. It doesn't involve you know, participating in like self-depreciation. Because God made us. God made us. And he loves us and cares for every part of us. 1969, uh, Neil Armstrong was coming back from the moon, Apollo 11. And he was a hero. And he says he's coming back and he sees this little blue ball out in front of him. It was the earth. And he, he put his thumb up and it covered up the whole earth. And Neil Armstrong says, I felt so, so small. Here he was coming back a hero, but he felt so, so small from up in space. But, you know, so many people, there's many people that are confused on, on how man got here. So when it says, you know, what is man that you are mindful of them, People that, you know, believe in evolution, you know, they have their, their theory. Other people, you know, why does God still put up with us? Uh, he could have wiped us out of existence because we have failed in so many ways. God has given us so much and we have failed. Why didn't God just wipe us out? But here the psalmist David says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place... What is mankind that you are mindful of him? I'll tell you how much he cares. 2,000 years ago, he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. Amen. That's how much he cares for us. Because of his love and his grace. It's nothing that we brought to the table. There's nothing that we can offer for our salvation. It's by God's love and grace that we're saved. 
So we need to remember as we study this that God pays attention to us. You are not overlooked. You are not insignificant. You are created in the image of God. I love the passage in Luke. You know, this is the time of year where you start to hear a lot of birds singing. And in Luke 12, 6 and 7, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, I know for me that's not quite as much of a challenge. But don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. The God that created all those stars, he knows the very details of our life. If he cares about the birds, certainly he cares about us. What does 1 Peter 5, 7 Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. How great is our God. Let's take a look again, going back to Psalm 8, 5 through 7. It says, you have made them, you might have him in your translation, a little lower than the angels. And crown them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You have put everything under their feet or his feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and all uh, that swim the paths of the sea. I'm quick to point out here, and scholars uh, are very quick to point this out, that there's a dual meaning in this passage of Scripture. It's a messianic psalm. When you take a look at the wording here, it's got a message both for mankind, but also for our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the author of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 2, 5, and 8, actually uses this to describe the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are certain phrases in here that seems only to fit Jesus Christ, putting everything under his feet and so on. And we'll get into that in a second. But in the Old Testament, Jesus often made pre-incarnate appearances. They were called theophanies. He was the angel of the Lord. But when he came to Bethlehem as a baby, he came at a little bit, he took on humanity. You know, as, as it says in Philippians, I don't have a slide for this, he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being made in human likeness. So he came a little lower than even angels and as far as his humanity on the earth. Now man, mankind... We were given dominion over all of creation. We haven't done always a good job with that. We've done, uh, we're guilty of pollution on, on the earth. So we, we can always do better in that area. So we see that there's a dual meaning, especially that phrase, put all things under his feet. Put all things under his feet. That, of course, refers to Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, 25, 
it says this. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now it says that everything has been put under him. It is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. This will ultimately be fulfilled, of course, at the second coming of Christ when all things will be put under his feet. But man was created as God's you know, own representative on earth to have dominion over creation. Do you remember after Adam and Eve, of course, were, were brought into existence, God in Genesis 1.28 said this, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, because of sin, a lot of that dominion has been marred, but that was the position given to mankind after creation. And yes, we are made lower than angels, but we are made to rule over the earth and have dominion over it. Now, I, people that believe in evolution, they don't separate man from the animal kingdom. I mean, we're, we're made in the image of God. There's a big difference between man and animals. But for a person that believes in evolution, we're just like one step up, higher on the food chain. We're just another creature. But the Bible truly speaks that God gave us dominion over all creation. It's, these are a very humbling verse because we look at ourselves and we see the greatness of God. Yet God has put us and has given us dominion and we are made in his image. We go to the very last verse here. And the last verse is the same as the first verse. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I go back to God's name. How majestic is your name. It's a shame that today God's name is being taken out of the public square, isn't it? You can't mention God's name in the public schools. You can't mention God's name in uh, government buildings or things like that. It's God's name is being taken out. But there's no name greater than God's name. The name above all names. Now, in, in our time... Here on this earth, I mentioned we have dominion. We do see that our universe is groaning and travailing in pain, waiting for redemption. But God is above all creation, which means we should not ever worship. We should never worship creation. We should worship the creator, number one, because there are some people that take it too far and worship the creation. But we worship the, the creator who is far above creation. 
and he has set his glory above the heavens. And Jesus, of course, came down to earth, died on the cross for our sins, he rose from the dead. Now he's sitting at the right hand of God. But someday he will return and put everything under his feet. Just some concluding thoughts. I'm looking at my watch here. Wow, I have another hour to go. That's amazing. So concluding thoughts. God gave us authority over the whole earth. Now, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm not a tree hugger. I'm not, I mean, I'm not too sure about the, the new green deal, <laughs> whatever. I'm not sure. I don't believe people that say that the earth is going to end in 10 years because we're not taking care of it. I don't believe that. But at the same time, I think we do need to be good stewards of our environment, our, our creation. We need to keep it in the proper perspective, but we, we do need to take care. So like the question I have you today is, do you respect the environment? Are you handing off the environment to future generations the way you received it? I think we do need to be stewards of God's environment, for God put us in charge of our environment. Am I not right? Going back to Louis Giglio, uh, he gives a quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson. You know him? Let's see. Where's Waldo? Oh, there he is. Okay. Ralph Waldo Emerson. If the stars, is the quote, if the stars came out once every thousand years, no one would sleep that night, of course. The world would become religious overnight. People would be ecstatic, delirious, made rapturous by the glory of God. But then Louis Gigolo adds this. Instead, the stars come out every night, and we just watch TV. Because as a people, we have become insensitive. We be, we've, our senses have become dulled to the glory of God and, and the beauty of his creation. And the last thought, and I'm going to credit Chuck Swindell for this. Next time you feel insignificant, look up. Look up in the sky. Look at the stars at night. Consider your God, how great your God is. Meditate on how God has rescued you throughout your days on earth. How God has answered your prayers. All that God has done for you. And thank him and worship him for his greatness. Not only for his greatness, but how he cares for the little details in our life. It's amazing. Now remember, Psalm 8 is meant to be played on this get it. 
And as Chuck Swindell mentioned earlier, too, he, he believes that this was composed after this great victory over Goliath. Well, we all have Goliaths in our life that we have to face. We all have certain giants in our life that we have to face. One of those giants might be that we feel insignificant at times, that we feel like we're not being used, that we, we're not needed. But as you consider God in his greatness, you have to meditate and consider this, that God loves you, he cares for you, he has a purpose for your life, he brought you into this universe, he sent his son to die on the cross for your sins, that's how much God loves you. And what should our response be? Our, our response be, we should worship God. And we should say, how majestic is your name in all the earth? How majestic is your name in all the earth? Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's close the prayer. Dear Lord, as we consider your heavens, as, as we consider the, the handiwork of your hands, we often ask, why are you mindful of us? Why would you even consider us? We fail you in so many ways. But yet, Lord, you love us. You care for us. You've shown your grace to us. You sent your son to die in the cross for us. That's how much you love us. So, Lord, we're here this morning just to give you honor and praise for all that you've done for us. We pray this, and all of God's people said, amen.